welcome to the Hold Nothing Back podcast. My mission with every episode is to relay information on training, nutrition, and mindset that I wish that I had when I first started my own fitness journey. If you do like the podcast, don't forget to leave a review and let me know on the Hold Nothing Back Instagram. Without further ado, let's get into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Hold Nothing Back podcast. So today's going to be part two of the busting fitness myths. Um, again, I'm not going to do a fun fact because I think all of these facts that I'm presenting are pretty fun. Um, so the first topic that I'm just going to jump into is um, how to get rid of hip dips. So first of all, a lot of people don't even know what hip dips are, um, but basically they're they're like the little divot on your butt cheek. Like if you were to look at someone dead on or like from the back or from the front, you would see there's like a little tiny divot. Um... And a lot of females like don't like that. And I think that that's like all the rave on Instagram nowadays is trying to get rid of hip dips. And I think with pretty much anything new or like anything that you can make money off of, like people just go ahead and run with it. And I think with hip dips being so popular and like Brazilian butt lifts being so popular because, you know, that's the only way that you can get rid of hip dips. um, A lot of people are trying to coin these workouts saying that they're going to get rid of this like anatomy, um, which is totally false. I mean, I was just looking, I was doing like some research for the, the podcast and I was looking on YouTube and there are so many people posting about how to get rid of hip dips. And like, they're basically Photoshopping their body to try and sell their workout to you. But I'm here to tell you right now, you literally cannot get rid of hip dips. Um, some people will argue that you can build your abductor muscles to grow that area. But honestly, with the way that your abductors are and your anatomy is, I think that it will make it more prominent. If anything, I know for myself, I've had more prominent hip dips dips since I've been training in the gym. Um, So really, there's no way to get rid of them. And the reason why this is, is because it's just your anatomy. It's the way that your hips are. Um, So it's like kind of like the the shape of your pelvis. So if you have like a a really high pelvis or a wide pelvis, it's going to change the way that your hips look. Um, And also if your hip bone, where your hip bone meets the top of your thigh is also going to be different on every single person. So again, some people are going to have more hip dips than others. um, And some people are just going to have those round glutes. Um, And so that's where you know, you just can't change your anatomy. Unfortunately, there's some things that yes, the gym is great and you could change a lot of things with your body, but you just can't change the way that your bone structure is. And again, a lot of people will say if you train your abductors, then you should see a significant difference. But I really haven't found that the only way that that I know that you can get rid of it is through surgery, um, through like a Brazilian butt lift. And that's where you can't sit on your butt for six weeks. So that's where, you know, Yes, it could be an insecurity, but are you really going to spend thousands and thousands of dollars in order to get rid of a tiny little bump that literally every single female has? I don't know. I mean, that's just me. I don't want to spend that money. I am just going to embrace the fact that I have hip dips and the fact that the more I train, the more prominent they are, which kind of makes me feel badass because I want to see that the progress I'm making in the gym. Um, but yeah, so so that's kind of like my rundown on hip dips, and hopefully that helped bust some myths for you guys. And next time you see a video saying you can get rid of hip dips please scroll away. It is not worth your time. (laughs) Okay. So for my next myth, it's going to be macros matter more than the quality of food, or, you know, can you just go ahead and and hit your macros and it doesn't really matter what food you're eating. Now, 
when I first started working out, maybe like five years ago, um, macros first came out and this was a huge thing. There wasn't a lot of research on tracking macros and a lot of research on like food quality and the microbiome and all of that. And so a lot of people were just eating literally anything to hit their macros, um, like pop tarts, bagels, it didn't really matter. Um, and you know, I will say that calories versus energy expenditure is going to be the biggest player in trying to lose fat. But I think now there's so much more research that's out there that shows that a calorie is not just a calorie and that the food quality matters. And, you know, before I get into that, what I mean by that is like um, unrefined, minimally processed foods are going to be better for you than refined, processed, sweetened, fried, uh, packaged type of foods. Um, and there's a couple reasons for this. But the first thing I'm going to talk about, because I know you guys had liked in the last podcast I did with including the studies was literally talking about a study. So there are so many studies out there, but the one that kind of popped up for me when I was doing the research was um, the Department of Nutrition at Harvard School of Public Health. It showed that the quality is, in fact, very important in determining what we should eat to achieve and maintain a healthy weight. Um, and so the researchers there concluded that the consumption of processed foods higher in starches, refined grains, fats, and sugars can increase weight gain. Um, and foods shown to be associated with weight loss were like veggies, whole grains, fruits, nuts, um, kind of like a, a paleo diet. Um, and so researchers didn't discount the importance of calories. Instead, they suggested that choosing high quality foods um, and decreasing the consumption of lower quality foods is an important factor in helping individuals consume fewer calories. Um, and so they didn't really, the only thing that I don't like about this study is that they didn't really, um, talk about the mechanisms behind why this is, but I can tell you right now a huge reason why people eating the better quality food, um, they're going to eat less than the people eating more processed foods, is the volume of food. So with the, the healthier foods that are more micronutrient dense, they're going to have more volume, they're going to have more fiber, so it's going to fill you up. Not only that, but something I talked about in the, um, the last episode was like artificial sweeteners and sugar and how you kind of can get like addicted to that, that sugary, uh, taste. You know, that's another thing with the processed foods, literally even things like barbecue sauce, things like ketchup, things that you wouldn't even think to have sugar in it. They have sugar in it. Um, and so that can also be a factor. Another thing is, is your body's not really going to be satiated until we give it the essential amino acids it's, it needs. Um, because those essential amino acids, are going to be satiating and it's going to tell your body, okay, we got all the nutrients we need for the day. Now we can stop being hungry. Um, so those factors right there are going to be absolutely huge. And the reason why people are going to be under eating or eating less, um, when they're eating, they're making better choices with their food. Um, another thing is, is there's actually less of a thermogenic effect from the processed foods that we eat because it passes through the body quicker. So, um, you know, in determining your maintenance calories, there's like the, the NEAT, the non-exercise activity thermogenesis. There's a lot of factors that play into it. And one of those factors is going to be the thermo effect of food. And so that's where, even though it's a very small portion of the calories that you burn throughout the day, your body does burn calories in digesting food. Um, your stomach goes through a whole entire process of trying to digest the food. Um, and so that does take up a lot of calories. Um, and you know, another thing with this is that you're not going to be getting those same micronutrients that you would get from eating a lot of fruits and vegetables. And another thing is like the antioxidants that you get. Um, and so that's where the less micronutrients can actually lower your metabolism because for example, um, 
our metabolism needs to run, it needs to, it has to have like vitamins and minerals in order for it to run properly. For example, our thyroid. Our thyroid can't run properly unless we have um, the selenium and the iodine. Um, and those are going to be essential in the thyroid function. And so our thyroid is, it plays a huge part in our metabolism and how fast we're able to digest our food, how fast we're able to, you know, pass food through us and use the bathroom. Um, so that's going to be really important. You definitely want to get those micronutrients in. And that's where I always tell my clients, like a multivitamin is so important. Although it sounds boring, it's actually going to really help increase your metabolism and increase that metabolic capacity. Um, and so the last thing I'll kind of touch on, on the, the quality of food and why it matters is I would say for a lot of, of lifestyle clients or people that are, have like a hundred pounds to lose, the best way to, to do it for them or to lose, help them lose the weight is not just to give them macros because one, if they've never tracked before, it's going to be overwhelming Two, like they're just so far off being close to being able to track macros and be really serious about things and to, to utilize advanced methods to, to do, to have the fat loss that it's better to just tell them, Hey, here's a list of foods that I would like you to eat that are going to be, have a lot of micronutrients in them, like fruits and vegetables. And I just want you to pick from that list. And to be honest, they're, if they're picking from that healthy food list and they're getting the essential amino acids that they need, the micronutrients they need, the amount of fiber they need, the amount of water, they're probably not going to be as inclined to eat high sugary foods and they're not going to overeat because they have all that fiber in their stomach and they feel satiated. So that's, again, where food quality definitely matters. I mean, I could go on a whole rant about this, but seriously, make sure that you're getting your micronutrients and that you're not just eating like Pop-Tarts and popcorn and ice cream all day because it's not going to have the same effect on your body. Um, and so I guess I'll, I'll digress on that and that'll be enough. Um, okay, so for the next topic, um, the less you eat, the faster you will lose weight. Now, this can be a little iffy and I definitely can understand if people come at me for this one. Um, because yeah, calories in versus calories out, like I kind of just said, is going to be really important. But the, the thing here, and the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because the goal of fat loss should be sustained fat loss. I don't know anyone that wants to lose 30 pounds and then gain it right back. So if you're going too harsh and restricting yourself in the beginning and you're not having any guidance with your diet, you're most likely going to rebound and you're going to put that fat back on because you're metabolic capacity is lower and your metabolism has slowed down because it's used to that low food intake and it's trying to be efficient at burning the calories so that it can survive. So then what happens is, is if you're really pushing yourself, running yourself into the ground for like 12 weeks, well, when you, when you decide that you're done with the diet and you lose that amount of weight that you wanted to lose, even though you probably didn't lose that amount of weight because you probably took your calories way too low from the beginning. But anyways, um, what happens is, is, is you're going to just go ahead and binge eat because you don't have a plan and you've been restricting yourself for so long. And this is what we call yo-yo dieting because then once you binge on that food and you increase the fat and you have the higher leptin levels so that you, you don't feel the need to, you finally don't feel the need to binge anymore. Well, now you're like, great, I just binge. I put all that weight back on. So now I'm going to diet again, but now you're still at that low metabolic capacity. And so it's going to be even harder to diet. And so you're going to have to push lower. And then again, it's just like a vicious cycle that's never ending. And this is what we call yo-yo dieting. Um, and so eventually you're going to get to a point where 
you go ahead and diet, but you're already eating so low. Say you're eating already 1,200 calories doing six days a week of cardio. Well, what are you going to do now? Are you going to go to 800 calories and do seven days a week for an hour of cardio? No. So that's where I would not suggest trying to rush yourself into a diet. I would really suggest trying to go slow and steady to preserve as much muscle mass as possible to preserve your metabolism so that you're not going to have all those detrimental effects and you're not going to just go ahead and, and gain all the weight back that you had already lost. Um, and so that's why, yeah, so definitely being slow and steady. Um, <clears throat> ooh, excuse me, I can't edit this. Um, <laughs> so the, the something that I really like to do with my clients is in the beginning when they have the most uh, fat on them, that's when I do like to do a significant drop in their calories Say someone's eating 350 grams of carbs, and maybe I'll go ahead and drop them all the way down to 250 grams. Um, but once they get leaner, that's when they're going to risk the muscle losing the muscle mass more, and so that's when you're going to make smaller, subtle changes. Um, another thing that I really want or I like to implement with my clients is diet breaks and refeeds. Um, so one of the best studies that I've ever found and that I absolutely love and everyone should look into this is the Matador study. So it bas- it's M-A-T-A-D-O-R and it stands for um, minimizing adaptive thermogenesis in deactivating obesity rebound. That's a, a mouthful. Um, but that was by Lauren Conlin um, and I think Dr. Bill Campbell. And so what they did was they took two groups and they had them in the same calorie deficit. But one was dieting for 16 weeks straight, and the other one was for 30 weeks straight because they implemented diet breaks periodically throughout the the diet. So a diet break is where they just bring those people back to maintenance. So opposed to, say, that the calorie deficit is like 1,600, um, maybe they... they um, went ahead and they bumped it back up to like, say their maintenance was like 2,500 for those diet break periods. And so what they found was that the intermittent dieting group or the the dieting group with the the diet breaks experienced significantly greater weight loss compared to the continuous dieting group. And they also found a greater drop in fat mass rather than lean mass. So that right there goes to show you, you know, diet breaks are going to be great at minimizing those adaptations. And it's also going to allow you to get that mental break that you need because you're not dieting straight for 16 weeks with absolutely no break. Um, I know for me, when I was competing, I needed that mental break. It was really, really hard to just diet straight through those 16 weeks because I had nothing to really look forward to. So I know from personal experience, that totally makes sense. And this is something that I use with my clients, especially my lifestyle clients that have a longer time to diet and it's not so rushed. We're able to take those week or two weeks to give them a break back to maintenance if their weight is stalling. Um, but let's say like someone doesn't have that amount of time to do a full diet break. If they don't have that time, let's say someone is competing, that's where I would use something like a refeed. Um, and so another study that was done by Dr. Bill Campbell was concerning the refeeds and the preservation of muscle mass. And so what they did was they tested, um, five low days, two high days. And so it was basically, so the calories matched up between the two groups, um, So one group, it was like kind of like the same thing as that other study they had done where one group, um, they had just the, the lower calories throughout the week with no high days. And then the other group, they went lower throughout those five days of the week. And then for those other two days, they had the higher carb days and those high carb days basically brought them back up to maintenance calories just by adding those extra carbs in. So I hope that makes sense. But like the calories equated to the same throughout the week. 
but they just had a different um, kind of spread out or manipulation of those those carbs and the macros. Um, so what they found from that was that the two-day carbohydrate refeed preserved fat, more fat-free mass, more dry fat-free mass, and resting metabolic rate during the energy restriction compared to the continuous energy restriction in that group. Um, and these are on relatively trained individuals, so they have some training experience. So this is totally applicable to at least the people I know that I work with. Um, and so basically what that does is it just, it'll help you preserve more muscle mass. It'll also give you that mental break at the end of the day. Um, and it'll restore the hormones. So it'll give your body like, okay, we're not starving for this long period of time. There is a break in the, the time that we're starving. And so that's when you're going to see those positive results. So, you know, I definitely, to, to bring it back to what I, I talked about in the beginning, um, you don't want to just cut calories and just say, all right, this is it. I'm just going to be miserable for 12 weeks eating a thousand calories. No, you definitely want to work with a coach, work with someone that is not going to just starve you, um, and work on the lifestyle factors and, and make sure that you're implementing things like diet breaks and refeeds when needed. And the last thing I'll talk about, which is just a quick one, is that you need to be sore for a workout in order for it to be effective. Um, so, well, the reason why we get sore in the first place is because exercise causes um, small micro tears in muscle fibers, just because you're, over or you're overloading your muscles and it's creating damage to those fibers. And then during the process of that repair of those fibers, your muscles adapt and then that's how you get stronger and you get muscle hypertrophy. Um, but this doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be sore in order to like measure how effective your workout is. Um, you know, especially if you have been doing the same workout program for three to four weeks, you're going to have a repeated bout effect where you're not going to be as sore as you were in the beginning. Um, but then again, you know, being sore, if you're never sore, you definitely, you probably don't know how to push yourself. Um, but I know from my own experience, I've been able to make progress and I'm not sore after every training session, especially, you know, as a female, um, uh, with the, the fluctuation in hormones, estrogen and progesterone, there's certain times of the month where I'm going to be weaker than other times of the month. So, you know, when progesterone is high during the second half of your menstrual cycle, you're going to be a little bit weaker. So that's where I'm probably not going to be sore from my training. I'm probably not going to be able to go as hard. Whereas the beginning of my menstrual cycle, that's where I'm going to be able to go harder. And I definitely notice I'm a lot more sore because I'm pushing more weight. So definitely don't, if you're not sore after every workout, don't worry about it. Um, it's, it doesn't have to be the end all be all. Um, but you definitely want to make sure that you're pushing yourself. Your intensity is high because intensity is one of the, the biggest factors in what's going to actually get you that muscle that you're striving for. Um, so I think, I think that that, I think I pretty much covered that. Um, all right. So, so th that's going to be the last of the busting fitness myths. Um, I actually have a plan. I, I love these. So let me know if you guys have more of these, but I do want to do a case study. So I'm thinking of maybe every once in a while taking a client intake form and kind of going over it with you guys and how I kind of like look at everything and develop someone's plan when I do take on a client. So I think that would be really fun. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to wrap it up here. Um, if you guys love the podcast, definitely leave a review and make sure to leave your Instagram handle. When I get to 50 reviews, I will be doing a giveaway of one free month of coaching and I will need your Instagram to be able to reach out to you there. Um, so definitely do that. And I look forward to creating the next episode. So hopefully you guys love it and I will talk to you soon.
did enjoy this episode, make sure to leave a review and share to social media. And if you are interested in hiring me as your coach, head to www.holdnothingback.net to apply.